You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, the jury is now charged in the trial of the man accused of killing a teenage girl in Burnaby in 2017. But not before one more dramatic development. And a warning, some of the details might be disturbing for some viewers. Our Romina Dea is live with more on what happened today. Romina. Sophie, the jury finally commencing deliberations just after 5 p.m. But the judge's instructions to jurors were delayed by a day because of a death threat. One of the accused's defense lawyers, Kevin McCullough, had told the judge that someone had threatened to kill him and his wife before Christmas, and the police have now launched an investigation. So some unprecedented moments during this case, Sophie. The jury now in charge of Ibrahim Ali's fate. A dramatic moment when the accused stood up and said, Mr. Justice, can I speak to the jury for a minute, please? Ali not permitted to do so. He has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. The trial, which started in spring and was scheduled for only three months, is now in its ninth month. The jury has heard from more than 40 Crown witnesses and sat through difficult evidence. The young teen's partially nude body discovered on the forest floor in Burnaby Central Park in July 2017. Now, during the trial, Crown told the jury the girl was forced off a trail by a stranger, sexually assaulted and strangled. A pool of Ali's semen found inside the teen. Crown said the scene itself, but also significant injuries to the genital area, proved beyond a reasonable doubt the girl was sexually assaulted. Defense says Crown's theory is, quote, crazy and has not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. No marks or injury inside or outside on the neck. No injuries from fighting back. Defense's position is that Ali and the teen had consensual sex, but he did not kill her. Someone else did. A forensic pathologist could not say whether the injuries to the genital area were from willing or unwilling sex. The case against Ali is circumstantial. Ali's legal team had filed a mistrial application back in October. Defence argued there was a real danger the jury would blame defence for the death of sexual assault expert Dr. Tracy Pickett, who went missing during the middle of cross-examination. Her body was found near her home in Vancouver. No foul play suspected, said Vancouver police. Now, Justice Lance Bernard dismissed the mistrial application and cautioned the jury once again today to completely wipe Dr. Pickett's evidence from their minds. Mm. Sophie. Ramina, there was one more remarkable thing about this trial today, and this time it involved the jurors themselves. It did. Um, this has been a, a long trial, as I mentioned, supposed to go three months, now in its ninth month. And because of that, the judge said that against all odds, somehow 13 jury members remain. He thanked them for their patience, for their dedication. And then all of the numbers of the jurors went into a box and a name was drawn and one person had to be excused after all this time. So you can, you, uh, you could suggest that it would probably pretty, be pretty emotional back there 
um, in the jury room after this happened. And the reason for that, Sophie, is because in Canada, the law is that a maximum of 12 jurors can deliver a verdict. That's it. So the jurors had a chance to say farewell, and then deliberations began, and they will continue until they reach a verdict. Right. All right. Thanks for that, Ramina. It's been a long, long process. Uh, we'll see what happens next. Ramina Dea reporting live uh, at BC Supreme Court. New developments tonight in a frightening extortion scheme targeting businesses in several communities. The province's public safety minister and multiple police departments now confirm they are investigating threats, extortion attempts, and in some cases, even shootings against entrepreneurs in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. As Angela Jung reports, business owners say they're afraid for their lives. They're asking for protection money. Local journalist Gurpreet Singh Sahoda has his finger on the pulse. He's been hearing from entrepreneurs who have received threats. They're very much worried uh, from uh, shootings and the recent uh, extortion calls and then these letters. I know there are some Chinese businessmen who received calls or letters and same as white people. So it's not limited to just a one community. It will spread like a fire. Global News has obtained an extortion letter which reads, We are Indian gang members. We want our share from your businesses like protection money asking for $2 million, with a deadline one month to decide by phone or letter. We spoke to a Fraser Valley business owner who tells us he received the same threats before his home was targeted. Now he says he is afraid for his life, and he was too terrified to go on camera, but tells us this. They threatened me many times. We'll kill you if you don't give us the money. Who has that kind of money? Everyone is afraid, right? They shot at my house. My kids were sleeping. My wife, my mom, and dad were sleeping. Very scary right now. That bullet can kill anyone. Bullet doesn't see who it's going to. Just days ago, a home in White Rock was shot at. Mounties say it's related to the extortion investigations. The RCMP and Abbotsford police are now working together. In a leaked Abbotsford police memo, it says the suspects are believed to be associated to the Lawrence Bishnoi gang in India. The same gang who claimed responsibility for gunning down Punjabi rapper Sudhu Muswala, who had ties to Ontario. This gang is very dangerous. Uh, they have done uh, uh, very daring acts in India and abroad. It sounds like it's uh, gang activity out of another country, uh, and so that involves a whole range of police forces. We've made it clear that if additional resources for police are required, then obviously the, uh, the province would be prepared to assist. The clock is ticking. This is happening since uh, more than four weeks now, and there's uh, nothing uh, publicly said by the police or anyone else, like no uh, descriptions uh, and no arrests. So that's why people are a little bit frustrated. Until those responsible are put away, business owners continue to live in fear. Angela Jung, Global News. A Surrey RCMP officer accused of using his position to engage in intimate relationships with women, both on and off duty, likely won't spend any time in jail. Kristen Robinson has more on a two-day sentencing hearing for the Mountie, who admitted to breach of trust and still faces internal RCMP discipline. Peter Leckie will have to wait to learn his sentence. The judge reserving her decision on the Surrey Mountie 
who pleaded guilty to three counts of breach of trust for accessing confidential files unrelated to his police duties and without authorization. In a joint submission, Crown and Defense recommending an 18-month conditional sentence followed by one-year probation. Leckie would spend the first six months under house arrest and electronic monitoring. Is there anything you want to say to your victims? In a Crown submission, court heard Leckie abused his power to search police databases for information on a 19-year-old sex worker and her mother, then showed up at their home under false pretenses to test the waters in pursuing a sexual relationship with the teen. When you came into my life, I was a lost and broken 19-year-old who was facing tremendous obstacles in her life. The now 29-year-old former sex worker and her mother sharing their victim impact statements outside court. I feel you're a predator and she was your prey. As a parent, I'm sick to my stomach that an RCMP officer did this to my child. My gorgeous, vulnerable, marginalized, trusting of the police child. You preyed on a young, vulnerable, mentally ill sex worker. And for that, in lieu of being angry at you, I pity you. I no longer have respect for the police after being victimized by Mr. Lucky. The third victim says she struggles to have meaningful and healthy intimate relationships and is disappointed Lecky will likely avoid jail. When anyone commits acts that are illegal, no matter who they are or what position they may have of privilege, they too must be held accountable. They should never ever be given any consideration or mercy just because they have that. No comment. Leckie apologized to the court saying he was profoundly sorry. My acts have brought shame upon myself, my profession and the organization I proudly served. The 38-year-old who's been suspended without pay since June says he dedicated 13 years of his life to the RCMP but failed to recognize the toll that service took on his mental health. Diagnosed with PTSD, Leckie said layers of trauma influenced my actions. The best apology there would be is living a better life as a better man, doing better things. You don't have to live with what you've done, and this entire thing is going to follow you around for the rest of your life, and that's enough for me. Corporal Leckie, will you be resigning from the RCMP? We're not going to make any comment right now. Thank you very much. Leckie remains suspended from the force without pay. His RCMP code of conduct hearing is scheduled for June of 2024. Kristen Robinson, Global News. About 100 people who live at a North Vancouver marina say they've been blindsided by eviction notices. The development company, which owns the Mosquito Creek Marina, says its aging docks have reached the end of their lifespan. But residents say they're going to face a huge challenge to find somewhere else to live. Travis Prasad reports. This room didn't exist. It was up in a little tiny bed here. Major renovations underway at Elizabeth McKinnon's boat shed. Purchased in August, it marked a new chapter following some dark days. The plan for this place is to rebuild it to what you see right here for myself and my daughter and to use it to heal. As I said, I've just lost my husband very suddenly. It was traumatic and suddenly. McKinnon fears all this work could be for nothing. The marina is owned by the Squamish Nation and managed by its development branch in Chikai. In an email on Tuesday, management told residents nearly all of the wooden marina docks have deteriorated beyond repair and will be shut down permanently. And roughly 100 people living aboard boats or boat sheds need to be out of the docks by May 31st of next year. We were, you know, caught off guard. Tony and Patricia Pisano bought their boat shed in the summer. The retirees stand to lose a major portion of their savings. $625,000. Gone. We can't sell the property. We will have no place to put it. 
so we will have no home. Marilise Meyerhofer says finding a marina that allows liveaboards is next to impossible, and current wait times just for boat moorage can be upwards of eight years. Don't just say you're going to kick us out in less than five months in the winter. On Thursday, a slight change of heart by marina management, telling Global News it will work directly with the community to explore viable options for their homes. While we are currently unsure of what those options may entail, we can assure these residents that they will not find themselves without a place to live come May 31st, 2024. Residents say they won't rest until they know for sure they'll never be kicked out, because for many of them, there is no plan B. I'm putting every penny that I had into it. I've got nothing left. Travis Prasad, Global News. BC's housing minister says the province's new housing rules are expected to lead to a drop in prices. During the fall sitting of the legislature, the government passed three bills aimed at tackling the housing crisis by increasing density. Today, it released regulations and policy manuals to help municipalities implement those new rules. Provincial modeling shows the new rules will lead to the construction of more than 50,000 new units over the next five years and a 6 to 12 percent drop in expected prices for housing and rent. That's what our goal is with this, to stabilize housing and to ensure that housing is available to everyone. The housing market as we have it now is not working for too many families and we can't expect to get new results by doing the same thing over and over again. If we didn't do this, prices would be 6 to 12 percent higher at the end than, if, uh, than the world in which we now live in. So this is sparing us, very likely sparing us some price increase. The province has identified 104 transit-oriented development areas in 31 municipalities where the minimum density rules will be applied. Canadian families are facing another year of rising costs at the grocery store. According to Canada's food price report, prices aren't expected to climb as much as we've seen over the past couple of years. But as Janet Brown reports, you'll still be paying more for pretty much everything. Sometimes I just feed my kids and I just go bed without food. I can manage. I don't want the kids to be hungry. Nobody is feeling the cost of food more than those who use food banks. We need to do something before it's too late. And he says the food bank is gearing up to serve more people, with demand up at least 35% over last year. We need to increase our storage capacity. We need more volunteers. We need to do more packing, more sorting. It's going up every week, it seems like. And uh, last week we paid 100, now we're at 150. We can even buy whatever we want, because uh, we can afford it. Some items are now becoming so expensive that grocery stores are beginning to put electronic security monitoring devices on some items, such as this pound of butter that is selling for $8.49. According to the 2024 Canada Food Price Report, food prices are going up again next year by 2.5 to 4.5 percent. The biggest increases will be for meat and vegetables. And the average family of four is expected to spend just over $16,000 on food next year. That is an increase of roughly $700. Consumers are out of cash. They're just out of cash, and so they can't spend more. They, they're only going to buy things that are on sale. Just like in the early 80s. 
Another group worried about the rising cost of food, seniors. I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of our seniors. They're going to be eating more carbohydrates. They're not going to be getting the fresh vegetables. They're not going to be getting the protein that they need. For now, Canadians will be looking for any way to save money when it comes to groceries. Yeah, it is getting tough. Janet Brown, Global News. Re-examining priorities at Vancouver City Hall. One day after the announcement of the Park Board elimination, could there be more changes on the horizon? What a draft report suggests about streamlining and getting back to basics. Next on the News Hour. This new site, this new lab, um, gives us the opportunity to use really cutting-edge equipment. How a first-of-its-kind genetics lab located in West Vancouver is helping in the study of orcas off BC's coast. Plus... That is the funniest part of this, that, that uh, I have zero tailoring background. No experience, no problem. How the man at the helm of Claymore Clothes turned the business around and how diversity and inclusion was the key to its success. Right now, though, a call to get back to basics at Vancouver City Hall. That suggestion in a draft report by the city's budget task force saying City Hall needs to refocus its priorities after a long history of trying to be everything to everyone. Alyssa Tebow reports. From axing the park board to getting an outside team to look at the city's finances, there's a common theme to Vancouver Mayor Ken Sims' approach. This change will yield millions of dollars in savings. This task force will be responsible for going through our city's spending with a fine-tooth comb. Looking at how the city spends money. But what does this mean for taxpayers? Every $7 million that the, the city spends on their operating budget represents about a percent in taxes. So, you know, it's a lot of money. A draft report by the Budget Task Force obtained by Global News suggests City Hall needs to refocus its role. Finding the core mandate of the city is not defined in the Charter or understood, and there's been an expansion over time. An accountant who helped write the report telling council... It's clear that all municipal taxes paid by Vancouver residents and businesses may not be directly invested in Vancouver public services. The task force suggesting housing and childcare services need more funding from provincial and federal governments. Former City Councillor George Affleck says plans such as the Sue Big Oil campaign would also be outside the city's role. Very obscure kind of process and unsuccessful in a big way, but they still spent the money. With Sims' plan to eliminate the park board and bring it into city council, he says he will also create streamlined efficiencies. It will be easier to navigate and come up with better solutions because there are less, less moving parts. The balance, according to this UBC political scientist, is finding savings without sacrificing government services. Government is not the private sector. And to, to try to, uh, again, trim the fat, you can end up uh, eliminating vital parts of, of the, the apparatus of, of democratic government, effectively. So they have to be careful in how they go about this sort of centralizing, streamlining, uh, efficiency search, uh, that they don't uh, end up simply taking away resources from where they are currently needed. The park board plan still needs approval by the province, and the full report from the budget task force is due in January. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Trouble brewing amid economic challenges. I've heard it said before that beer is supposed to be recession-proof, but uh, craft beer isn't necessarily. And Why it might be last call for a growing number of craft brewers. 
Plus, the new rules for international students. Why Canada is raising income requirements. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Queensboro Bridge this evening, with just a little bit of leftover volume eastbound on Marine Draw or Marine Way on the approach. The gold standard is one thing, but Craftsman Collision sets the aluminum standard by being Ford Aluminum certified at 45 locations. Craftsman Collision, BC's favorite body shop. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Queensboro Bridge. Dozens of BC craft breweries could be facing last call within the next few months. Aaron MacArthur now with what's behind the dry spell for the once booming beer industry. For almost 10 years, Callister Brewing has been pouring out craft beer from this location in East Vancouver. As of the end of December, that all comes to an end. Facing a huge rent increase, the brewer is set to pack up. It's quite sad, you know, we think we've, we've grown up here. The business isn't closing, just redefining itself. More focused in the short term on non-alcoholic soda and looking to collaborate with other businesses to reduce costs. Any future will have to be at a new affordable location. The raise in rent has just really made us ask, ask ourselves some tough questions and we've realized that this space is no longer appropriate for us. The craft brewing industry as a whole has been put through some tough times, rising rents, rising input costs, and declining consumption. The result is a shrinking industry. What was a perfect storm 10 years ago while we, when, the, when all the growth was happening, we're now hitting a perfect storm in a negative way of all these things layered on top of us that are really impacting the business. There are an estimated 240 breweries province-wide. The industry expects that number to contract significantly According to the Craft Beer Alliance, somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of all breweries could be closed within a year. Governments and consumers both have a role to play to keep the rest thriving. From consumers' perspective, I mean, you know, keep buying our beer, you know, and support the breweries you love. From the provincial government's uh, perspective, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a lower markup rate for the smallest breweries, uh, you know, to Ken's point. Callister is still profitable with the right lease and location with less than a month to go before the doors close in East Van. That new spot hasn't been secured yet. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. New rules are on the way for international students studying in Canada. Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller announcing that starting January 1st, international student ap applicants will need to show they have more than $20,000 on top of tuition in order to get a visa. That's double what it is right now, and it's meant to ensure they're financially prepared for life in Canada, especially when it comes to housing. The minister says learning institutions will only be allowed to accept the number of students they're able to find accommodations for. Enough is enough. If provinces and territories cannot do this, we will do it for them, and they will not like the bluntness of the instruments that we use. Our aim is to strike the right balance between welcoming international students and making sure they have all the need, all they have and all they need to thrive. Also announced today, Ottawa is extending the allowance for international students to work more than 20 hours a week while in Canada. Coming up, approaching the tipping point. This is causing people to look through uh, a different lens at their careers. Why it's situation critical at the Saanich Police Department, the factors behind dwindling staff. Plus. Um, one of the big, big pluses is um, we collaborate pretty closely with other, other organizations and 
How a new world-class research lab is helping to provide valuable insight into BC's coastal marine species. Jason, me, and the entire Global News Morning Team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC, energy for a better BC. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnels. Two lanes in both directions and traffic is starting to ease off both ways, but it is busy as you can see on that Steveston Highway off-ramp in Richmond. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. It's been 18 months since a dramatic bank robbery and shootout sent six Saanich police officers to hospital with significant injuries, and the incident is still having a huge impact on the force. As Kylie Stanton reports, the chief is now seeking help to deal with what he says is low morale and high stress on his officers. Bullets fly in broad daylight, injuring six officers running into the fire. Oh my God, Holy dude. It's been a year and a half since the shootout at this Saanich bank, and the department is still feeling the impacts. It's caused our officers and our staff to uh, look at their jobs differently. Every time they put their uniforms on, report for duty, uh, they remember that day. But for some, it was enough to walk away from policing for good. Several officers have taken early retirements, another 10 have resigned. I'll talk about some positions that we'll be asking for. On Monday, Chief Dean Duffy told Mayor and Council it's pushed the department's resources to a tipping point. It causes burnout. It causes um, operational stress injuries to our officers, which is debilitating and it causes uh, morale issues. The police chief is making his case for boosting the department's budget to $47.1 million. That's $4.2 million more than this year, a nearly 10% increase. That's a big number, and uh, it's not something that we take lightly, uh, but that's within the context of the pressing need. The municipality, with a population of 123,000 and counting, is the largest on Vancouver Island. And yet the department is usually operating at minimum strength, with just six constables on shift. Upping the budget would allow the department to increase wages and benefits while hiring 10 new staff members four being much needed patrol officers. We want to ensure that we're appropriately resourcing uh, the department so that the health and well-being of that organization and our officers remains a priority. And uh, I think that's a key tool in terms of recruitment and retention. Saanich Council voted unanimously to accept the provisional budget for information. Deliberations begin in the new year. But just as this day has stayed in the minds of officers, the police chief says it should also serve as a reminder of just how important the work is. And that day, lives are saved. It's as simple as that. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The body of a missing hiker has been found nearly a year after she went missing. 38-year-old Melissa McDevitt last spoke to her family last December 8th. Two days later, her car was found near Soup Potholes Provincial Park, where she was believed to have gone for a multi-hour hike. McDevitt was described as an experienced hiker, but a string of major searches failed to find any trace of the woman. Police say there's no indication of any criminality in her death. 
It's being called a major step forward in the preservation of coastal marine species like southern resident killer whales. Paul Johnson takes us on a tour of a new lab in West Vancouver that scientists say takes research to the next level. From the frigid waters of the Salish Sea to a fridge in West Van. Here we have some southern resident uh, killer whale fecal material. You're looking at one of the world's most advanced facilities for deep research into the genetics of killer whales. Here we have our DNA sequencer. Adam Warner gave us a tour of Raincoast's new genetics lab, now located at the Federal Research Building in West Van. He's taking orca poop collected this summer, isolating the DNA in it to find out literally Who's eating who? We've been working with looking at their fecal material to uh, determine which individual that's from, what they've been eating in terms of salmon and uh, some other species, even where that salmon originated, uh, which river or stream. Intriguing both is pure science, but also the possibility of some practical outcomes. For example, southern resident orcas are in a perilous state because of severe inbreeding. Tracking gene expression and feeding habits over time may help craft a strategy to save them. This new lab um, gives us the opportunity to use really cutting-edge equipment in a great environment um, to do work that's very closely related to the conservation of the species. So while they're working on the big questions, no doubt many of you are wondering about this. How do you gather killer whale poop? <laughs> so, I haven't had to do that myself, but basically it's a lot of uh, following them around from a distance. If a poop has been seen, then the team can go in there and, and basically scoop it up. <laughs> now there's a story for the Christmas party. In West Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Health Canada says the shortage of the diabetes drugs Ozempic, Trulicity and Munjaro will last until the beginning of the new year. The agency says it will take some time for manufacturers to build up supply due to increased worldwide demand. Health officials are recommending that new patients are not prescribed the drugs unless there's a clinical reason for it. Chris Chu with the BC Pharmacy Association says there are alternative drugs which patients can take during the shortage that are just as effective. Yes, there are alternatives, actually, and effective alternatives that patients can use. Um, we've actually seen in the pharmacies and from our members that they're able to effectively help these patients through the shortage. Chu says pharmacists are helping patients who are due for a refill by discussing alternatives with them and then making a recommendation to their doctor. An ultra-endurance athlete's big fitness adventure. My hope is that when people see the effort that I'm willing to go, it, it makes the pain of donating a little less. Running for 25 hours straight, her extreme physical challenge for a good cause. Plus, where are the, where are the friends? The tailor shop owner who can't sew a stitch, but has weaved together a tight-knit work family. Well, I'm a bit out of the loop, Christy Gordon, and someone just said in my ear, chance of wet snow here? <laughs> yes, what? here, across the lower mainland. I know. So, <sighs> listen, um, I just, this is a heads up.
because it's going to be Saturday. I know a lot of people will still be Christmas shopping. That's probably you, Sophie, traveling to see friends and family on Saturday. So I want everyone to know that there's a brief period where we could see a transition to wet snow or snow right at about midday when everyone's out on the road. So heads up, this is for Saturday. So right now what we're seeing is a clearing trend. We've got sunshine on the way for our Friday and that will be the case across much of the province. You can see a few flurries in the southeastern corner, but generally tomorrow's looking great. But this next system is going to drive on shore quickly on Saturday. That's going to bring snowfall for the interior regions. Great for the mountains, certainly. But for the south coast area, we're right at that verge. So we're expecting a high of about four degrees, but when we get intense precipitation at four degrees, we can get a brief transition to snow, wet snow, or heavy snow. So heads up everyone, watch for slippery conditions and I'm really urging everyone to tune in tomorrow. We'll have a better idea as to what we're expecting and a better idea of the timeline. But now you have been warned. Yes, there is the potential for low elevation snow. Quick look at that as we head into our Saturday. All right, so here's a look at your forecast for your Friday, everyone. A few flurries in through the Caribou Central Interior region, otherwise mostly dry, some nice breaks of blue sky, not a lot going on on our Friday. It will be bright near seasonal value with a high of six degrees. So quite pleasant indeed before that rain shifts in on Saturday. And really it's going to be mainly a rain event, but I want everyone to know because there'll be so many people out on the roads that snow certainly is a potential. We will warm up on Sunday though back to periods of rain, it'll all wash away. All right, here's tonight's central windows weather window. Coming to you from Kelowna, Nancy Fair sharing that with us with the valley cloud there. It's so beautiful seeing that from up above. Thanks, Sophie. All right, thank you very much, Christy. Well, it was a job well done for a Kelowna woman who's overcome some pretty steep challenges to make a difference in the lives of strangers. Savannah Holmes has completed 25 consecutive hours of running a circuit through Kelowna's Ben Lee Park. It was all to raise funds and awareness for a group that supports women escaping human trafficking and sexual exploitation. Holmes was in pain, understandably, for much of her 150-kilometer marathon, but says it was thoughts of the girls she was doing this for and her supporters that kept her going. I really relied on my pacers and the people running with me to kind of keep me out of some pretty negative loops, but I just always say, like, the purpose is bigger than the pain, and I tried to keep my focus on why I was doing it. Holmes has raised $7,000 for the Servants Anonymous Foundation, and an anonymous donor has matched that amount. I think she deserves a rest now. Squire. I wonder, after doing that, how long would you sleep? And when would you next go for a run? That's a very good point. You may not want to ever see I, I would your running shoes for like a couple of months. I'd retire from running. Um, speaking of being, I don't know, at it for a, a long time. time. Yeah. yeah, Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett first started playing in the NHL in 1984 with Philadelphia. Tonight is his 500th game as a head coach. It'll be against Minnesota. And he's hoping the Canucks will play a lot faster than they did against New Jersey. What's kind of creeped out in our game is uh, we're playing slower. Well, it was kind of like when I first got here, a lot of regroups, a lot of people holding on to the puck. Quick decisions are needed in your end of the ice, and if they aren't quick, then trouble will ensue. Also ahead tonight. We thought we could make it better, and that's what we did. Proof teamwork makes the dream work. How a tailoring shop went from 
struggling to successful with a workforce from around the world. Does Rick Tockett get like a special ice cream cake or something? Uh, for 500 NHL games? Or, I don't know. Um, might. What do you get? Is that like paper? You know what you could get? I don't know. 500, I don't know what that is. Okay. Because no one's anniversary is ever 500. That's Like, I don't think fair. we've actually given, we've come up with that. Got, I, well, yeah. I hope they get him a cake. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think tonight's 501. I think 500 was on Tuesday. I think oh. I'm a little bit behind. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> He's now coached 500 NHL games. Uh, he was also a coach for Tampa Bay and Arizona, but he's been around the NHL since 94 when he started as a player with the Flyers. So if you count playoff games and the times he was an assistant coach, he probably is around 2,000 NHL games. That number I don't know at all, but I think it'd be around 2,000. Whatever the case, it's been a remarkable career. But lately, lately, his team has not been remarkable. The Canucks are eating into the cushion they built earlier in the season, and the problem lately has been defensive play. Palat turning, feeds back, ball, this shot, stop, scores! These kinds of breakdowns were commonplace last year for the Canucks when Rick Tockett inherited a team that was a hot mess defensively. But through the first month of this season, they were an entirely different team. But some of those old habits are apparently hard to break because the Canucks' much-talked-about structure has shown quite a few cracks of late and it has to be fixed now before the foundation crumbles. Uh, it's definitely an issue, uh, an issue we're well aware of. We had a, a quite a long video session today and, and, and the past couple games. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to work through it. And we still got a great team in here. We still got a ton of confidence. Um, these are all things that we believe we can fix. Earlier in the year, we were, if we didn't bring our A game, we were at least making it hard on them defensively. We're compounding mistakes, and that's something we don't want to let snowball longer than it has, but at the same time, it's, there's 82 games. We didn't know it wasn't going to be all sunshine and rainbows the whole time, so we're trying to rectify what's going on, and all, honestly, it just takes a little more urgency and a little more commitment, I think, will be fine. After a blazing 12-3-1 start, the Canucks have lost 6 of 10. In those six losses, they've given up 28 goals, nearly five per game. In the four wins, they've surrendered just six goals total. So it's obvious when they put their mind to it, this is a solid defensive hockey club. So when things do get a little frantic in the defensive zone, calm down and talk to each other. Something that I've been a little disappointed in the team is, is our communication. We need guys to talk more. Um, you know, whether it's, to me, that's a reverse or you have time, whatever, it, the, the commands have to be forceful. Um, and whether it's game seven or whether it's, you know, game one in October, you've got to have the same mindset when it comes to those type of plays. And, um, you know, we've gotten away from the communication of, of our team right now. It's not a big thing here. We, we know how to play. We know our system. And we just have to get back to a, a mindset of, of being proactive and, and supporting each other uh, when we have the puck to get the puck out of the, out of the zone. Look up. Look way up. This is where Roberto Luongo's Ring of Honor, Honor picture is going to uh, hang between Orlan Curtinback and Harold Snaps. That's good protection from those two. Luongo uh, will be here with Florida next week to become the eighth member of the Ring of Honor. Well, despite losing to Jamaica in Nations League, Canada still has a chance to qualify for next year's Copa America, which is 10 South American teams and six teams from our region. But in order to get in, 
We're going to have to beat Trinidad and Tobago in a playoff next March. And if we do win that game, at least we know what group we're going to play in. So if Canada is able to beat Trinidad and Tobago, this is who they'll play against. And they would play in the very first game of the tournament against Lionel Messi and Argentina. That's the kind of group you want Canada to get in. You want some good competition for the Canadians heading into the World Cup in 2026. This year's Masters champion John Rahm has decided to take the money and run to live golf. Apparently he's getting a $300 million deal. This comes while the PGA and the Saudi Public Investment Fund, the owners of Live Golf, are still trying to work out some sort of partnership going forward. Still haven't figured it out? No. Okay. It's a lot of money to figure out. Uh, I could help them with that. Really? Three Just as long as I give you some? Exactly. You can help them out? A fee. Up next, an East Van Clothier tailor-made for new Canadians. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a look ahead to global news at 11. Jordan? Sophie, we are keeping an eye on the jury in the Abraham Ali trial. Romina Dea will let us know if there are any developments. Plus, boat owner... Marina tonight. Nitschke Development Corporation is trying to calm fears of a mass eviction with nowhere else to go. They're now saying residents will not find themselves without a place to live come May 31st. We'll find out what residents think of that pledge at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. Premier David Eby and Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim were among those on hand for the lighting of the menorah in front of the Vancouver Art Gallery this evening. The annual lighting of the Silver Family Aga menorah marks the first day of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. A new candle will be lit each night during the eight-day Jewish festival. The candles of the menorah symbolize an ancient miracle when one day's worth of oil burned for eight days in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. An East Vancouver tailor shop has turned things around from struggling to thriving thanks to its new owner who, well, he knows nothing about sewing, knows a lot about putting together a good team. And as Jay Durant reports, there's a common thread at Claymore Clothes. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Hey, he's my boss. Fareed Rohani is the guy in charge of a clothing company despite having no tailoring experience whatsoever. I have none. I don't know what these machines are. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I think that is the funniest part of this. Here we are in our... Uh, An honorary colonel in the BC Regiment, Rohani first discovered Claymore clothes while picking up his custom uniform. Now he's the owner of a business he's been able to turn around. We thought we could make it better and that's what we did. With a lot of help from the experts. I thought that we could uh, go to our immigrant population that know this business and we could get an advantage. Then that's what we've done. How long have you worked here? I work here almost 28 years. Mr. Kumar is uh, from Sri Lanka. He cuts everything yeah. here. Yeah. Mr. Mohammed, he's from uh, Syria, from Aleppo. 
Skilled tailors, some of them new to Canada, are designing hundreds of orders for police, fire, ambulance and armed forces across the country. The Burnaby Fire Department, this is Vancouver Police, this is uh, from Ontario, Woodstock. The language barrier doesn't pose a problem. They need this kind of accessories. The people that are here don't necessarily speak English, but we all get along. Yeah. On busy street. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> This team has no trouble keeping up with the high demand. We have over 500 styles. Inspired by his experience in Vancouver's oldest military unit. is the most diverse regiment in Canada. They learn to work together in a very effective way, as we do here. Thanks to the crew at Claymore, it makes no difference if Fareed doesn't even know how to sew a button. It's great to come here and learn from every one of them. And what I learn is how hard they work. No problem. We are the great friends. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. Nice to see. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that we should know about, don't forget to email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy. Uh, yeah, Squire doesn't like snow either, wet or otherwise. <laughs> no, I, I think it's wonderful on the mountains. But that's where uh, it should yes, stay. Yes, to look at. Mm -hmm. Did you see it today, though? Did you see the snow on the mountains? It was so nice and beautiful. I didn't but see yes, it. The no, well, you weren't looking hard enough. Yeah, no. so there was some fresh stuff on the mountains today, but we do have the potential for a transition to snow or wet snow near midday on Saturday. Tune back in tomorrow, everyone, for a heads up on really those details for Saturday. All right, thank you, Christy. And thank you for watching. Have a good night, all. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.